Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, friends? Jason Jimenez here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode here, Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad that I am joining with you as we open God's Word and we study it. So today is podcast 70, hard to believe, but podcast 70, and the title is, I was blind, but now I see. Now, you may be very familiar with that phrase. It comes from, obviously, the famous song, Amazing Grace. Well, it comes from this chapter that we're going to be covering today in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. So we have a huge chapter to cover, so I'm going to jump into that pretty quickly. But it, when when you think of that song, you think of the impact that that song has had uh, through many, many years in so many different settings and how it's impacted so many different lives. It comes from this man who Jesus heals in John chapter 9. So this is going to be a great study. It's a famous passage. Now I want to bring you up to speed to where we left off. And now, as always, if you've missed any previous podcast, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast there on the top corner of the website, and all the information is there, including my study notes. And just to continue to encourage you guys as you're listening, thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. I love having this time with you and just would really appreciate it if you would take the time to take these lessons with the study notes and the links, however you use it through Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever, and share them with your friends and your family. Now to bring you up to speed here in John chapter 7, verse 14, let me read you what has just been transpiring up to this point in John chapter 9. It says here in John 7, verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. Now, remember, after that, Jesus, uh, you know, leaves the Feast of Tabernacles after it ends, and he goes to the Mount of Olives, and then he returns back to the temple in John chapter 8, where he was, remember, confronted by the Pharisees. And so afterwards, when Jesus leaves the temple courts, he then encounters this man. Now, this encountership, I just want to make mention with this blind man, it, it reflects quite literally that Jesus, as he said back in John 8, 12, that he is the light of the world. So we literally see him take someone who's blind and heals him. But that also, of course, is a testimony of what he does in the lives of people spiritually. So let me jump right here in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41 to give us proper context of this amazing story. John writes, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, nah, but he's like the man. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, 
Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed, and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor... Do we know who opened his eyes? Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone could confess or that anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind, but now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Alrighty, so now as you can see, there's a lot here in this particular passage. So let's jump into the commentary of this to kind of understand contextually what's going down. Now, I will say this, though, there's a lot of things that we can take metaphorically, but also relating it to a spiritual way within the physical reality of this story. So I'll do my best to kind of, you know, wrestle through some of these things and kind of bring some more clarity. Now, when you jump right into verse one, when it says that Jesus passed by, it literally means that he was passing by this man. Remember, he's outside the temple. 
and his disciples are with him. And they look upon this man. And also in the Greek, it means that they are very close to this man, like whether there was movement or the guy was shouting for their attention, but he had the disciples' attention. And so they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So remember, Jesus left the temple because the Jews, remember in John 8, 59, picked up stones to throw at him. And so as Jesus is moving on, he's with the disciples and they see this this man begging in public, we're told in John 9, verse 8. And this is possibly near uh, the gates leading to the temple. And you see this in Acts chapter 3, verse 2, where, the, where many of the beggars would go. And so here we see the first confusion about sin, where the disciples are confused by the cause of blindness uh, from this poor beggar. And so they reference a particular belief called transmigration of souls. It just means the pre-existing state before birth. So when they're asking, did this man sin? I mean, before he was born, or perhaps his parents committed a certain sin that caused their son to be born blind. So this was exposing from the from the disciples to Jewish traditions of antiquity that run contrary to the Bible. So isn't that interesting that the disciples, again, have some bad doctrine in them? And so this incident with this blind man is one way to correct them. And of course, we know the rest of the story of how God used this man who now can see to testify to his parents, to testify to his neighbors, to testify to all the Jewish people who go to the temple, to testify to the Pharisees. So Jesus answers them and says, neither. It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So then Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. It literally in Greek is it's necessary. It behooves all of us to do the work of God. So by using this man's blindness, God's going to do a great work to expose his earthly ministry. He says, night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there again, in verse five, he reinforces what he said in John eight twelve. So this, sta- this statement connects back to Jesus's early teaching. Okay, all the way back, John eight twelve all the way through 59. You can you can check out the podcast if you missed it. Uh, podcast 69, that would be. And so Jesus corrects the disciples' misunderstanding. And he does this by pointing out that the man was born blind simply to display God's glory. The point is that even in the midst of tragedy, God's glory shines through. You see this in Exodus 4, verse 11, and 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, in the life of Paul, the apostle. One commentary writes, In the final analysis, all physical problems are the result of our fall in Adam, for his disobedience brought sin and death into the world. Romans 5, verse 12. But afterward, the blame, to blame a specific disability on a specific sin committed by specific persons is certainly beyond any man's ability or authority. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps. And only God can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to the people and glory to his name. So here you have a blind man. The disciples don't know how this all came about. Jesus says, this is to bring glory to God. So what does Jesus do? It says here in verse six that he spits on the ground. He makes mud with a saliva and he anoints. It literally means he smears. He rubs it in the man's eyes. You can think in part that this is very insulting to this beggar, that this is how they're mistreating him because they're bullying him or something. But I believe in the context as Jesus is touching the blind man's eyes, remember he can't see uh, Jesus. And so Jesus is reaching out to him so he can feel and understand what Jesus was doing. He's identifying that he is in fact blind. Now, perhaps Jesus, when it says here that he spits in the ground, 
and he mixes it with his saliva is a picture of life coming from him just like uh, when you look back in Genesis 2 verse 7 when the dust out of the ground, right? He created a man. And so he tells this man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which just means scent. And this was located, if you know your geography, on the southeast corner of Jerusalem. Now this pool, it was created by Hezekiah, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 20, and he did this to bring water from the Gihon Spring. Barclay tells us in his commentary, it was called Siloam, which is sent because the water in it had been sent through the conduit into the city. Another commentary writes, the water of the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem was regarded as sacred. According to early rabbinic tradition during the celebration of the festival of tabernacles, water was drawn from the pool into a golden vessel and carried in procession to the temple. This is in John chapter 7. And again, by the way, we talked about that in another previous podcast. Jesus instructed the man born blind to wash in the same pool. Although it was Jesus who is the source of living water, John 7, 38, who did the healing. So again, it wasn't the pool itself, but the pool has great significance to the Jewish people. And Jesus sends him that way to go be healed. Now it says when he, when he went and he washed, this blind man, he goes, remember, in faith. He's trusting who this Jesus, whoever this Jesus is, to go do it, and he does it. He's desperate. He's looking for answers, and he washes his eyes to be healed. And remember, this sounds a lot like who in the Old Testament, like Naaman. Remember when he went and he was healed of his leprosy in 2 Kings 5, 10 through 14, when he went to be washed. Now, later on in Matthew 9 and Mark 8, we're told of other instances of two blind men in Galilee who were healed. Jesus heals another blind man in Bethsaida. So this wasn't the only incident where Jesus healed blind people. Now, in response to this, after this man is healed, notice the neighbors, they see this man, the beggar, and they're they're blown away. So here's the second confusion now, which is among the neighbors. And the confusion is about how this man was healed. So the people didn't know what to think. They had never heard of a person born blind being healed. And not to mention the healed man was vague, remember, in his recollection of how he was healed because four different times the healed man was asked how this happened in John 9, verse 10, verse 15, verse 19, and verse 26. And he didn't really know how he was in fact healed and who this Jesus was. And I love the healed man's response in verse 11 because he doesn't really know, but he says, the man Jesus, the man that they called Jesus, he made mud and he anointed my eyes and he said to me, go in the pool of Siloam and wash. So he goes, literally just, he motions away to go be washed and to receive his sight. I love this because notice the healed man gives the who before the how. So here in this situation, he knew very little about Jesus at this point, but at least he knew that this man has the ability to perform miracles. So he's some kind of miracle worker. And then in verse 12, they're asking, where is he? He says, I don't know. So when he left Jesus, remember, he was still blind. So he wasn't able to identify Jesus and tell uh, about his whereabouts, not to mention the healed man was still spiritually blind. And he, so he kind of put some faith in Jesus and believing in this miracle, but not in who he is as the Messiah. So now in verses 13 through 15, of course, they bring this man to the Pharisees now. The Pharisees are after Jesus already. The Feast of Tabernacles is over, and they're now interrogating this man. So at this point, no one doubted the man was healed from blindness. 
but it was just a matter of interrogating him to find out how this came about. Now, the moment the Pharisees found out that Jesus had made mud on the Sabbath and therefore used it to heal this man, they saw this as work, therefore he was violating the Sabbath. So, of course, immediately they respond here in verse 16. They're saying that you're not from God because the man who did this isn't from God. So notice now the confusion, the third confusion here now is among the leaders. And it's regarding the identity of Jesus because it says, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division, literally there was a split. So up to this point, the Pharisees have rejected Jesus as the Messiah and they reduced him to nothing more than a poor, uneducated sinner. Now, we know in history with the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel, there were different uh, camps of thought within the, the Pharisees themselves. And so they oftentimes got in these feuds and the debates. But regardless of where they were coming from, the Pharisees once again neglected to see Jesus fulfilling prophecy, even just with this blind man here in John chapter 9. If you go back to the book of Isaiah alone, Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, verse 5, Isaiah 42, verse 7, over and over again, we're told that Jesus brings light. The Messiah will come, you know, and shine light in the midst of darkness. Uh, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped, that he will open the eyes of the blind and bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. They told and neglected this. They didn't see this at all. So in verse 17, when they press this man further, this healed man, he says he's a prophet. So as the debate went on, the healed man grew to believe Jesus to be more than just a miracle worker, as he said in verse 11. Now he's believing Jesus to be a prophet. Now, this was a bold statement given the fact that most Jews believed prophets ceased after the days of Malachi. So the Jews, they didn't believe that this man had been born blind, and they couldn't up to this point refute his claims and the evidence that was growing with these, these neighbors. So they bring in the parents for eyewitnesses. So denying he was ever blind seemed to be an easier way to refute the miracle rather than admit that Jesus healed him. And so the courts decided to call the parents to testify. Now this brings in the fourth confusion. It's now about the parents and it's confusion about the truth that because notice the parents, they were afraid to defy the leaders for fear of being excommunicated. Remember from the synagogue, we're told in verse 22. So they weren't fooled by the Pharisee setup. So the parents, they deferred to their son to testify of his own miraculous healing they didn't want to take responsibility for him. They said, let him speak for himself. They were more concerned about their status in the synagogue than they were of their son being healed from blindness. And that's the confusion. They didn't know how their son was healed, but it's almost like they didn't care to know it because they were so spiritually blind and they were so ingrained in this religious institution by the Pharisees that they would rather concede to whatever truth, if you will, that the Pharisees put out then find the truth from their son. And then it says here in verse 24, so for the second time, they called a man again. So the leaders wanted the healed man to give a public declaration to God because this phrase, give glory to God, just literally means, which was a common Jewish oath, speak the truth at this situation. And if you've been lying up to this point and you're gonna speak the truth now, you need to have an act of repentance. It's a call of confession before the leaders so they know that now you're gonna be telling the truth. And so that's what they're asking this man to, to, to do. And here in verse 25, he says, look, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So the healed man, he didn't deny what Jesus did for him. He's still spiritually blind at this point. And these attacks and this, and this cross-examination by the Pharisees is just causing more confusion. 
And so in verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? They keep pressing him because they just want a simple response from him. And that is, Jesus didn't heal me. This is all hoax. He's not the Messiah. And I recant. That's what they want from him. And in verse 27, he answers them, I've told you already. You're not going to listen. And I love this because he says, do you want to know because you want to become his disciples? So the poise and the repeated responses by the healed man to the educated Pharisees demonstrates the wisdom of God that's evident in this man's life. He's going toe-to-toe. Now his parents are cowards, not this man. And of course, in verse 28, 29, with disdain, they attack him, says, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. So when you notice this disdain and the hatred that the leaders have towards Jesus, for example, to resort to the highest standard of Jewish law is to refer to Moses. And so they're saying we're disciples of Moses, therefore we are obedient. We're followers of the law. Because remember, you said that this man mixed up mud, he worked on the Sabbath, he broke the law. So their credence and their testimony is built on Moses, whereas they're saying to this healed man, "You're you're testifying based on an uneducated rabbi who's a sinner who we've said has a demon. And you're saying he healed you blind. It's impossible. And of course, we don't know where he comes from. When 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 they responded to even this uh, beggar man who was blind at one point, and they say to him, we don't know where he comes from. They're dismissing Jesus. This is false. When you did this about someone, when you don't recognize where they come from, that's a biggest insult in the first century. And of course, as I said earlier, this is false because they knew that this was Mary and Joseph's son. They knew this is Jesus of Nazareth. They knew where he came from. They knew all about him. He'd grown up in, in, in the synagogues and in the, in, in the temple. And of course, at this point, already a year and a half into his ministry, his public ministry, not to mention on many occasions, Jesus told them, and particularly in John chapter six, just go back in John chapter six and see how many times Jesus said that he came from heaven. Now, at this stage, the man responds even more so. And he's saying, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes and he starts telling them. Nowhere do we know where it's recorded of, of this happening of someone who's blind but now can see. Never since the world, he says, began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And then notice in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The confidence of the hill man grows. He pushes back against the attacks of the Pharisees. He doesn't care about the punishment that awaits them. This man also, if you notice, gives reference to Scripture. He's speaking of Psalm 34, 15, Proverbs 15, verse 8, Proverbs 28, 9. He gives a chronological account of miracles about blindness. So he's pointing out his knowledge of Scripture to some extent. I don't know to what extent, you know, as a common Jewish person, of course, there's knowledge there that he possesses. But being born blind is probably difficult to educate him to some degree. And of course, the outlook of people, how people would have towards a man who was blind. But he does show here in these verses that he does possess a knowledge of Scripture in the history of miracles. I think that's fascinating because to me, thinking that he was probably very desperate, as you can imagine, and was searching out Scripture and looking for answers in his life. We don't know his actual age at this point, other than the fact of saying he's an adult, he's a grown man, he can respond to himself. And so he does, and he's giving some great insight. So again, he's possessing knowledge, but he he's at a stage of his life right now where something incredible has happened to him, something he's probably been praying for for most of his life, if not all of his life. 
but he doesn't connect the scriptures to who Jesus is. Not, not yet. And so here in verse 34, they answer him, you were born in utter sin. So they've insulted Jesus and now they insult this man and says, you should dare to teach us and they cast him out. Now, we don't know at this stage where his parents were at, doesn't mention it, uh, but rather than accept the defense of the healed man, the Pharisees deemed him um, unfit and he's a liar and they cast him out. They threw him out. Now, two commentaries write something pretty insightful that I want to read to you. The first one writes, religious bigots do not want to face either evidence or logic. Their minds are made up. Had the Pharisees honestly considered the facts, they would have seen that Jesus is the Son of God and they could have trusted him and been saved. The other commentary writes, the self-styled experts bristle at the man's spiritual insight and resort to an appeal to the traditional theology linking his disability with sin. In the end, they discredit Jesus and they discredit this man who's been healed because of their blindness, because of their religion. Now, verse 35, Jesus hears about this and he comes to the man and notice this key word, do you believe in the Son of Man? See, religion, my friends, kicks the man out of its institution while Jesus seeks to restore. So you have rejection in the institution of man and you have restoration in the person of Christ. Jesus came to pick this man up from the rejection of man and to give him acceptance. Isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful picture of salvation. Verse 36, the man, of course, replies and says, yes, I want to believe. Uh, the man never got to see Jesus, but he probably recognized his voice. And so Jesus says in verse 37, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. Now notice this in verse 37. It's interesting the way that Jesus phrased this, you have seen him. But remember, when Jesus says that the man has seen, literally means you have become, it's become visible to you. The man was blind at the time that Jesus did that. But Jesus is speaking of future, right? Meaning that you have, I touched you, you have seen in a greater way than just physical sight of who I am when he went to go to the pool of, of Siloam. And then he says, Lord, I do believe literally with complete trust, with complete reliance. And he worshiped in Greek, literally he bows to the ground before Jesus and the man puts his faith in Jesus and he worships him as God. And Jesus says, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So Jesus came to judge the sinfulness of mankind. He's telling this man, Jesus doesn't blind people. We know that people become blind due to their own sins and because of the works of Satan, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who seeks to blind the, 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 the people of this age. Now, some of the Pharisees are standing here, so they followed this man who then they see Jesus approach him. And so they ask, are we blind? Now, literally in Greek, I looked at this and it doesn't seem like they were sincere about it. They're just like, are we blind too? Uh, because we rejected this man and we kicked him out of the synagogue. So they wanted to see what Jesus would say to them. Now, notice he says in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. So what is Jesus saying here? Very simply, he points out their pride. He's pointing out their self-righteousness. And, and he says, this prevents you guys from actually seeing now, to conclude this podcast, let me read you this quick little uh, note from a particular commentary that I think hits the spot here. This commentary writes, the antithesis, not seeing and seeing, seeing and becoming blind are one of the characteristic features of John's gospel. 
The notion of sight is used in different ways. The blind man had received both physical and spiritual sight. The Pharisees possessed natural sight and thought they possessed spiritual sight, but the reaction to Jesus showed they were really blind. So there you have it. That's John chapter nine. I pray this podcast has been a blessing to you, this message that we got here in John chapter nine. But before I end this podcast, I wanna leave you with this thought. When you look at this healed man, he was a beggar. There was nothing special about this man, but yet notice when God healed him from his blindness, not just physically, but also spiritually, look at this incredible testimony that he had. So I just encourage you, my friends, know your testimony and be bold like this man was who was healed from blindness to share it regardless of the attacks that you and I get. The world is dark. It is blinded from the truth and God uses us, each one of us, to be his light in the midst of the perversion that you and I are around. Continue to hold fast to God's word. And until the next episode, keep standing strong. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.